This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dr. Rupi Orjula, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Now, um, I'm, I think we're going to have a bit of fun here today. Good, I Could hope Could you so. feel that? I can feel it already. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. um, we'll let our listeners know that we've been um, eating um, chocolates and biscuits and nuts because <laughs> somebody sent us a wonderful hamper for Christmas. So It was delicious. I can't yeah, vouch for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all authors get that kind of deliciousness. Well, I'm, I'm privileged. Yeah, yeah, you're very lucky. <laughs> it's part kind of we're making up for the smoke in the city at the moment. Okay. Dr. Rupi is a practicing GP in London. However, he also does some emergency medicine work as well. Do people surprised when they see you um, in emergency? <laughs> it's happened a couple of times where yeah. I've been recognised by patients or yeah. um, patients of other doctors and stuff. They're like, oh, is that so-and-so? Yeah. Um, but luckily not all the time. Oh, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> he believes firmly in the power of food and lifestyle changes as a form of medicine. In 2011... Rupi helped himself overcome his own medical problem by researching how his lifestyle impacted his health and condition. Since then, Dr. Rupi has adopted that way of thinking into his practice. He takes a holistic view of the body and mind along with conventional medicine practice and uses both aspects to achieve great results. He now aims to be the leading voice in how nutrition can heal and improve health rather than creating limiting and restrictive ways of dieting. Dr. Rupi's philosophy is to use flavour and celebrate cultural diversity as a way to make healthy lifestyle enjoyable. Do you know what I, and I don't know if this happens in the UK, but it's so prevalent here, you have all these chefs who start preaching about health, like paleo and, you know, we should all be drinking bone broth and mm. crap and there's no science behind it whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. it's. I think when people take a sliver of what something has been said about in, in the literature or whatever and then you base a whole philosophy around it, I think that's extremely naive and restrictive. And, and irresponsible. It can be. It can be for sure because just because that's worked for a subset of people doesn't mean it's relevant to everyone. I mean, mm. as an NHS GP and someone who's worked in Sydney as well, I was here for two years, um, I see people from all works of life, right? Mm. And just because paleo or low carb has worked for some people doesn't mean it's going to be relevant to everyone I see through coming through the door. Mm. So that's why... I I try it's another reason why I um I try and make dishes from different cuisines to make it accessible to everyone. Healthy eating isn't just Mediterranean flavored food or a salad. It can actually be a curry, a casserole, mm. it could be something Korean, it could be something Chinese. Mm. And it doesn't have to be quinoa. Absolutely, it doesn't that have to. That has no flavor. Yeah, I think <laughs> quinoa um for me uh, it, 
It's one of the blandest pseudo grains out there, to be honest. Um, you Did you can, call it a pseudo grain? It is a pseudo grain. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. I think we're really going to get on here. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, let me finish the intro. Dr. Ruby has, because you've done a lot for, for such a young person, Dr. Ruby has two books, The Doctor's Kitchen and The Doctor's Kitchen Eat to beat illness. So the first one is recipes and the, the second one is also about health. Is that right? Yeah. So the, both of them have got recipes in, yes. um, but the intro is like all the evidence base around why food is medicine. And, and yeah, and the science of it. Mm. Not only are these cookbooks, uh, not only are these cookbooks full of delicious recipe, they, recipes, they also include much of the research that Dr. Ruby has done about why certain foods are included. For example, in his new book, The Doctor's Kitchen, Eat and Beat Illness, Dr. Ruby addresses how we can eat for your heart, your mood, your brain, your skin, inflammation balance, cancer prevention, and much, much more without having to give up delicious tasting food. I mean, I, I, and you know, I'm lucky I've been in good health for a long time and hope to stay that way, fingers crossed, but also very, very aware of what I eat and what I put in my mouth. Um, and I've seen so much, you know, I've seen that fast food fad that, you know, um, the McDonald's of Kentucky and all those terrible, horrible places. Do you know, they should they should get the same scrutiny as cigarette companies. Absolutely. And soft drink companies. Mm. Yeah. But then there's also the irresponsible um, Instagrammers that, you know, um, uh presenting food that they say is good for you but yeah. they wouldn't have a clue why. Yeah, like peddling detox teas and yes. you know milkshakes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a it's a really um uncertain landscape online mm. uh and even in the mainstream media as well. Mm. Um and I think uh what I'm trying to do is cut through the noise and bring in an authoritative voice through it that people can trust mm. because there's a lot of homework that goes into both those books and everything I put out there on social media. I'm, I'm currently doing my master's in nutritional medicine at the moment uh, and that's refining my ability to analyze papers um, but also have fun with it as well. Mm. It doesn't have to be as serious uh, mm. even though unfortunately we are witnessing a lot of lifestyle related illnesses that are overburdening our healthcare systems. Did you read, um, there was an article um, just recently and I can't remember which paper it was in because I've subscribed to a few, but about that the the um, our bodies really should only live to thirty eight. Did you read that? I haven't read that. No. Yeah. So the human I don't body. In that. <laughs> yeah, I know it was, but it had science behind it. I mean, oh, it was credible okay. apparently, but that that's what the human body was made to live to that optimum age of thirty eight, and of course we're all living past that. And then you know, I, and depending on where you are and where you, where you live in certain parts of the cities, you see people in active wear morning, day and night mm. and whether they're exercising for that long, I don't know. <laughs> but there's there's kind of this health kick in everybody trying to, I don't know if it's necessarily living longer or just wanting to look young. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I've never, haven't worked that out. And then you have the other side of the coin where people still, you know, are going to Kentucky Fried Chicken and going to McDonald's and, you know, I mean, how do you as a health you know, communicator, provider, professional, deal with that? Yeah, it's difficult. I think certainly aesthetics comes into it. And I think that's probably the main driver as to why people try and adopt a healthy lifestyle if they don't have a health scare. Mm. It's, you know, how we are supposed to look thin, vivacious, fun, mm. you know. Mm. Um, eternally young. Eternally young, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, there's a whole other subset of people who I argue are probably the most vulnerable, who have no clue how to eat, who have no clue how to eat to cook even. Mm. And that subset of people are the 
types of people that I see coming through the doors in mm. the NHS healthcare system and in New South Wales Health, mm. where I used to work. Um, and that is kind of where I want my books and information to break through to. Um, I'm certainly of the opinion that we need to be a lot more inclusive of how we cook and present food because, like you said, you know, quinoa isn't for everyone and mm. it's certainly not the first thing I recommend to people when they come in asking for tips on how to eat healthier. Um we're also starting a movement, I think. There's a lot more medical professionals interested in this subject matter through either personal experience or experience of their family members or even their patients educating them. So a couple of years ago now, I started uh, a nonprofit called Culinary Medicine in the UK, which is where we teach medical students how to cook as well as the foundations of nutrition. Because I'm not too sure if your listeners are aware, but in the UK, at least, uh, we get less than four hours of nutrition training throughout our medical school uh, training. Wow. Yeah, which yeah. is in the context of a six-year degree, less than four hours. Yeah, is crazy. That and is it, insane yeah. because they're so closely related. Absolutely, and there was a paper that came out from the Lancet, I think, this year, and that was all about how diet is the major contributing factor to ill health. Diet, it diet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what we eat, eat. and it's not just about the the rubbish that we're eating so the you know the mcdonald's and the yeah. fast food chains or whatever it's about what we're not eating we're not having enough whole grains legumes plants mm -hmm. lots of different colors variety we eat the majority of our food from i think it's around 10 different crops around the world um so we thrive on complexity and you know i i, th I think we should be living far past 38 if i'm honest yes, absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah well i think we're already doing that um i i just want to touch on that so about 15 years ago and that's pretty recent i was working at a publisher and anyway there was this woman that came in who i would have thought was educated smart whatever and she was pitching a book for acquisition and it was on kids' health. And she said to the group, and did you know that burgers are really bad for children? And I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> I mean, yes, I did know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then I thought maybe she didn't know. Maybe. Maybe she didn't know. And so there isn't an assumption that you think that that subset group of people know, mm. but in actual fact, you know, maybe they don't. It depends, I think, too, what you grow up on. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I had a patient come in the other day. He was coming into A&E uh, and he had a flare-up of his inflammatory bowel disease and ju Ooh, just, just for the awful. listeners, yeah. colitis, inflamed yeah. bowel, um, it's quite well, it's, it's getting more and more prevalent now, actually, mm. unfortunately. Because processed food, I'd processed imagine. Processed food, I think, yeah. certainly contributes to that. And there's yeah. a few other reasons as well. We're, we're losing the complexity of our microbiota, this population of microbes that live in and around yeah. our body, but largely in our gut. Um, and I asked him about his diet and if he's ever been talked to about diet before. And he was like, no. And I was like, well, what do you tend to eat on a weekly basis? Um, and after about 60 seconds, I revealed junk food, uh, occasional yeah. McDonald's on a weekly basis, um, <gasps> sodas, uh, yeah. lots of high sugar items. And it's our fault as a medical professional. It's not his fault. No one's had a conversation with this person who's got a clear diagnosis where diet and nutrition clearly has an impact as well about what he should and should not be eating. Mm. Um, and that isn't Even to say, just to give people a brochure to take exactly, home. Exactly. Yeah. It's the simplest thing mm. and it's the simplest measure and we, we're really missing a trick as doctors to improve the health of our population effortlessly. And I think, you know, we need to be a lot more mindful of um, it's yes, uh, people need to take responsibility, but we need to educate them and put it at the forefront. 
Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with all of that. Um, when I, in my younger day, my heyday, while I was at school and studying, I worked at the supermarket mm. and people used to come to the checkout with their basket and because I was so brain dead bored, <laughs> I used to judge people <laughs> by their basket. Really, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So if a person had greens and a bit of cheese and a tub of yogurt and whatever, I liked that person <laughs> and I could imagine a life. <laughs> being that person's friend or being whatever yeah, it yeah, was. Yeah. And I still remember the faces, right? Really? And then if people came with, you know, and they buy, you know, fish fingers and chicken nuggets and whatever, I wouldn't even make contact with them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I lived through five years of working oh as God. a checkout chick really? by judging people by their basket. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, but, I you can know, imagine you just conjuring up stories of them. Like exactly. And imagining and... what they did when they got home with that food. Mm. And some of it was downright awful yeah but the woman i loved the most i loved her so much um she had cheese <laughs> she always had spinach and greens mm. and you know all the things that i just loved eating um and i just thought it's funny you know i mean if we're judged on our grocery basket i mean that's could be a place where doctors hang out well you know, it's funny you say <laughs> Intervention. that it really is funny you say that so i'm starting a new um a uh, digital platform, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, where I curate people's shopping baskets. Oh, fantastic! And this actually came about from when I was standing in a checkout line and I was looking at the basket in front of me and the person's baskets behind me, and I was like, I just wish I could take some of the things in my basket and put them in theirs, yes, and take some of the stuff out, right? Yes. And it, it, this sort of came to me and I was like, you know what, maybe I'm going to start doing a shopping list for people, attaching recipes to it, and then just seeing if people can stick to it. And so what I'm doing is going to create a digital shopping list that connects with online supermarkets who deliver the ingredients to your door so you're getting convenience, allowing you to cook doctor's kitchen meals every day, every week. And that way we can you know, increase the fruit and vegetable consumption of of patients Mm. and people up and down the country. And just by doing that, the research demonstrates that we can massively reduce the risk Mm. of lots of different lifestyle-related illnesses, Mm. high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, metabolic issues, diabetes. The list is endless. So talk to me, um, I want to know how your career began and why you studied medicine. And Yeah, so I grew up in East London um, with my parents uh, who are both of Indian origin. Are they vegetarian? No, they no. actually ate everything. And my right. mum is a prolific cook, right? Yeah. She loves cooking. Yeah. She, Our childhood, um, we would have prawns and garlic mm-hmm. oil and chilli with fresh baguettes. We'd obviously have Indian curries. We'd have tar- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
I, in fact, one of the recipes in my first book is the tar lemongrass curry, which is my favorite. That was the first uh, recipe I was ever taught to cook by my mum. Oh, wow. But during my childhood, my mum also had a health issue. So she would suffer from something called idiopathic anaphylaxis, which is a posh way of saying um, allergy uh, of unknown cause and the most severe form of allergy as well, where your blood pressure goes down and you pass out. Oh, right. And I was 12 at the time and I witnessed her overcome her own illness by changing her diet and changing her So lifestyle. was it anything particular that triggered it? So was... she went to see a whole bunch of different professors of immunology and all the different medicines she can right. think of and they didn't find a cause. Um, and so she took matters into her own hand and taking an Ayurvedic approach, so an Indian medicine approach, mm-hmm. basically uh, took out anything from a diet that could be uh, causing any any issues with her body and then changed the way she lived. She exercised, she meditated, she reduced stresses, she did a whole bunch of things. She just basically went back to zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she overcame it and she mm-hmm. hasn't had an anaphylaxis shock since then, um, mm-hmm. which is incredible. She was on daily medications as well, like daily antihistamines. Um, and obviously everyone's different, so I wouldn't yeah. want to you know suggest to anyone that everyone can do this because yeah. it's very, very individualized. But that was the first time I thought, you know, food is exceptionally powerful. And that was also the trigger for me to go into medicine as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went straight into medicine. So uh, you're a good student, obviously. <laughs> I tried to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I tried to be. So I got my A's, I worked hard during my teenage years, got into medical school, mm-hmm. uh, was there in, uh, went to Imperial. Um, uh, so I was there for six years. Yeah. But throughout that time, um, what actually inspired me to go to medicine in the first place, which is nutritional medicine, food is medicine, everything else, um, we weren't taught about. So I came out as a strong-willed conventional medic who was very, very uh, efficient and very good at the job, but I, I didn't have any nutrition training whatsoever. Did you like it? Do you like the job? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Loved yeah. the job. Yeah. Um, and three months into the job, so I was 24 at the time, so this is mm. 2009, um, I started getting heart palpitations. <gasps> I remember it was at the end of a busy shift um, yeah. and uh, I was at the nurse's station, and my bleep going off and you know, writing in notes or whatever. And I just remember my heart being exceptionally fast. And I, I turned to my boss at the time and I said, look, would you mind feeling my pulse? I think I'm going a bit fast. And she felt my pulse and literally within half an hour, I had my clothes taken off, put into a hospital gown, bleep taken off me, connected to a cardiac monitor, um, and I was parked uh, in the cardiac ward. And I was in something called atrial fibrillation, which is where your heart beats exceptionally fast and irregular. Um, Why? Well, that that is the the $6 million question. At 24. 24, exactly. So no triggers, no prior history, no issues. I wasn't overweight or anything like that. and I thought it would be a one-off episode, um, but unfortunately, this would happen two to three times per week um, <gasps> throughout the next year. How debilitating! It was, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. glad you picked up on that. It was really debilitating. It was for me as a 24-year-old who's commercially trained medic who should understand everything. There was no no person asking the question why and what is the root cause of this because this shouldn't be happening. Mm. And so I saw a whole bunch of different cardiologists, um, a whole bunch of different medics, and we had all the investigations you can think of. And what I was offered was something called an ablation which is where they put a guide right into the heart and they essentially burn an area around misfiring cells because there was an electrical issue with my heart, but no root cause found. I was also medications to reduce the speed of my heart and everything as well. Um, That's huge at that age, isn't it, it? Yeah, it was. And, you know, when they when they read you the risks of this procedure, yeah. one of the thousand chance of 
uh, something called um, tamponade where they break the, the skin around the heart. Uh, there's a risk of stroke, obviously a risk of death, yeah. um, a whole bunch of other things. Being a patient, it was very humbling. You recognize how vulnerable you are as a patient. And I never mm. had that experience before as a doctor. And that has never left me now. Mm. When I see patients in A&E or in general practice, I, I instantly reflect back to what it was like mm. being a patient. And so it was almost like a, a blessing in disguise now because I'm very grateful for the experience. Mm. But um, so I, I was definitely going to have this procedure, right? Conventionally trained medic. This is what a whole bunch of different cardiologists are telling me to do. Definitely going to have it. And my mum was the one person who said to me, uh, you need to look at your diet and your lifestyle and mm. your stress levels and everything else. Um, and so with my cardiologist's uh, approval, I decided to look at my diet and just change whatever I thought I could change. So And not have the procedure. And not have the procedure, but they said, look, you can try doing whatever you want for six months, but you're going to yeah. need this procedure. You stay on the medications, yeah. reduce your heart rate, whatever, still work, that's fine, yeah. but you're going to need this procedure at some point. So just let us know when you want it. Mm. Um, and so I changed things very gradually out went cereal in the morning and my sandwiches at lunch in came dark green leafy vegetables lots of different nuts and seeds and lots more plants I started meditating again I tried to reduce my stress levels improve my sleep when I wasn't doing night shifts a whole bunch of things sequentially not all in, in one go and within about a year my episodes went from two to three per week to zero and that was the trigger for me to really question how on earth is this possible? And so retrospectively, I try to figure out, okay, what was I doing with my nutrition? And I still can't figure out to this day what it was. Was it mm -hmm. me improving my gut health? Was it me replacing electrolytes and different minerals that were lacking in my blood and not picked up on investigations? Was it uh, stress levels? Was it sleep? Was it a whole bunch of different things? Um, but really what it affirmed to me is the amazing ability of the body to look after itself mm. if you put it in the right environment. And that is essentially what I try and teach people to do with using food as the as the motivating factor, but then bringing in a conversation around lifestyle outside of that. And mm. so that's why with the second book, Eat to Be Illness, the front section, yes, I talk about eating for immunity and skin and brain, but it also ends about lifestyle and looking at the evidence base behind how if we meditate, if we look after our exercise and, and we improve our sleep, mm. we can actually create a medicinal package that mm. improves the health of us. It's it's. I see so many people, and this is what you would have been like at twenty four, who really um, are driven by work, or you know, just and they're. It's like they're on a treadmill, mm. and and you say to them, you know, maybe you should stop and jump into a pool as I do every morning and swim. Well, I can't fit it in because I've just you know, and then maybe you know, maybe you should do this, and they can't. They can't see the cause and effect, and also they can't see what's giving them the grief, whether mm. it's illness or whether it's stress or whatever it is. Mm. And that I think is a really hard thing to communicate to people, isn't it? Mm. It is, mm. yeah. Because they can't make the correlation that Absolutely. they're making themselves sick. hundred uh, percent. And I think mm. you have to try and find that trigger for, mm. for someone, right, that motivating factor. And that's why, you know, no conversation that I have with a patient in clinic is going to be the same. People always ask me, you know, what, what's the first thing I should do? Well, it depends on, like, what your uh, environment is like, what mm. your motivation is. Um, and trying to dive deeper into that is, um, is, is what I'm getting better at doing, I mm. think. Tell me a little bit about your connection with Sydney and, and oh, when did sure. you come here and why did you come here? And 
Yeah, yeah. So I came in 2014. Uh, I just qualified as a general practitioner. So I've been working in the NHS for over five years. Um, and I decided to work in A&E and Mona and uh, Mona Vale and Manly. Yeah. Um, I met a whole bunch of other medics here, both Aussie and British. And I had the most wonderful two years here, honestly. And tell me about the difference between um, practicing here and practicing in the in, in London. Is there a difference? Is, a lot less pressure culture? in the A and E department for sure. Meaning um, the emergency department. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the is that because it's you know I mean it's not a it's a big area, Manly, but it's not. You know, it's not the city. It's not the city. It's not mm. as busy in terms yeah. of that. But also uh, what I what was striking is the emphasis on self-care, I think. It was a good working environment where we would work four days on, four days off. So and the, self, self-care for the doctors. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I Isn't mean, that it, important? It's because so really important. I would prefer my medical practitioner to be to have had enough sleep and 100%. to be feeling good about themselves and yeah. You'd be surprised that we still have on-call rotors where your surgeon might be working 36 hours and That's they'll have ridiculous. to operate until 30, you know. I wouldn't want anyone operating no. at 30 hours, yeah. no sleep. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, definitely every system has its issues, but yeah. the system that I was working in, New South Wales Health, was brilliant from that perspective. Yeah. I think obviously there's going to be a lot more pressures now with more with a growing population yes. um, and obviously the issues with lifestyle um, problems as well. And um, do you think, did you see any differences in lifestyle? Yeah, 100%. On the northern beaches, everyone's like you yeah. up at the crack yeah. of dawn yeah. exercising. Yeah. It's great. I remember thinking, because I'm a keen exerciser in the morning, so I get yeah. up at six in the morning Same. and go either go to the gym or like run outside or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I thought I was, and, and you do that in London, no one else is around. You do that in Sydney, everyone is yeah. like, oh, it's <laughs> incredible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think people realise just the amazing culture you guys have here. It's yeah. brilliant. It's yeah, so, yeah. so good. I think yeah, we, yeah. we live in a bit of a bubble, I think, in Sydney though, right? The rest yeah, of Australia do. is not like that. So. Yeah, yeah. I do think that there's a greater awareness. Like I was surprised recently I had to do a regional tour and I can't remember where I was, Dubbo maybe, um, and seeing a number of vegetarian restaurants. I'm yeah. thinking, well. Yeah. It's changing it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's changing. Um, and I was quite surprised by that. But I, I think there's a domino effect, although at the moment we are living in smoke. I, I mean, this is another quandary too. You know, I often, um, and, you know, I don't know how medical practitioners feel about this, mm. but you've got the environment oh, and 100%. you've got that looming and here we are trying to make people better, but we might all disappear in 20 years' time. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I touched on environment in my first book and certainly it's influenced a lot of the work that I do now with food and I mm. think transitioning to a plant-based diet so one that is predominantly plants doesn't mean you need to give up meat or animal yeah. products completely um, but certainly being a lot more mindful about how much we consume could benefit the environment in multiple ways yeah but it's also a whole bunch of other factors that we need to consider like yeah. you know air travel and yeah. pollution in general and transitioning to uh, and energy efficient cars exactly everything yeah. else yeah well, um, that's been fun, Dr. Rupi. Thank you so much for My coming pleasure. in to speak with us today. Yeah, that was great. If you'd like more information about Better Eating, follow us on Facebook or visit bettereating.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. 
All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.